This is Corey Willis with PVI, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. This is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Cass from Diesel Doctor of Tennessee, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're glad you guys could join us today. On this episode, we're continuing a series that we recently started with talking about what just happened with the you know EPA rulings, diesel performance, all that stuff. And something that we're very proud of at the Diesel Podcast is a couple of things. One is we're not owned by a parent media company. So we don't have to walk into a, a producer's office and say, hey, can we talk about this topic? Or, oh, we shouldn't talk about this or shouldn't talk about that particular aspect of it. We can say what we want. We can bring you guys the stories, the information that you guys demand from us. And we've got tons of messages from you guys on Instagram and Facebook and email, lots of concern and questions and things you guys want to know. The other part is we don't have to tailor this content, tailor the podcast, get guests on and basically hold them back because we want you guys to buy parts from us. We don't sell parts. What we do is we share information and that is why we feel a tremendous responsibility right now to have as many different voices from the diesel community be able to come on and talk about what just happened, what's going on, and what the future is. So earlier we had Corey Willis from PPI uh, talk about changes that were going to happen, and it was a re-release from March where he basically told us what was going to happen, and it did. And today, Vinny Himes from Leadfoot Diesel Performance is going to be on, and he's going to offer a different perspective. He's going to be able to combine a few different aspects because he, he's working with a lot of manufacturers to get diesel performance parts onto trucks. He's also working with truck owners who want to do things to their trucks. He's had contact with the EPA on different things, and he's been doing this for 15 years. So he's able to bring together multiple facets of, of the diesel community, the diesel industry, performance, all those sorts of things. And this podcast is going to be extremely blunt. It's going to be no holds barred. We're not going to dance around the topic. We're going to ask him what just happened to diesel shops. So we want to be able to bring this to you guys, help shed some light on on some things that are going on, and be able to make sure that every voice in this community is heard and we're able to you know, find out how can we proceed through this? What can we do to make sure that these trucks that we love and the things we love to do with them is still there in the future? All right, let's get to this podcast with Vinny and asking him what just happened to diesel shops. Vinny, welcome back to the Diesel Podcast. I wish we were chatting under different circumstances, but hey, hey, <laughs> we got to talk right. about it. <laughs> no, I mean, there's this, there's a uh, kind of frustrated with the industry. I'm frustrated with people just, you know, we've been visited by the EPA, and I wasn't really nervous about it. I was nervous, you know, it's like any time, it's like your parents coming in your room, you just finished hiding a nudie bag under the mattress, you know, I mean, there's a level of, you know, what am I doing that's wrong? And, you know, why did I do that? So I'm not wandering around in public with a loaded weapon. So you kind of like justify some of this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how I felt going into the meeting with them. Uh, it was a good meeting. We had zero, zero signs of tampering. We had nothing incriminating in the inventory. Uh, we had no jobs on the floor that day that were anything that we could have gotten fined for and trouble for. It was an informative meeting. I got to ask a lot of good questions that I personally just honestly don't know the answer to. I'm not an attorney. I didn't go to law school to be a diesel mechanic. And, you know, they they gave me some paper with basically highlighted sections of the Clean Air Act that they felt applied to our shop. And uh, 
what really kind of got me worked up is the wording. The way that the law is written, it reminds me of back in the early 2000s. I was 20 years old, started a construction company in northern Idaho, and I was I worked for a company for five years previously that we got in some trouble with OSHA. And I was all proud of my new company. I was, I was walking around town with my chest out, safety harnesses in the toolbox, hard hat on all the time. I was going to be OSHA compliant. I bought the Bible. My wife was going through and figuring out all the rules. And after about six months of buying safety equipment, my company was in the black. I hadn't really done any work because we were so busy trying to be compliant every day. And so I figured out at a young age, you can never know all the rules, and you certainly cannot follow all the rules. If OSHA showed up on one of my job sites, they would find something to nail me for. They don't go fishing and not catch fish. And that's how the government is. So coming out of my visit with the EPA at our shop, I felt the same way. I was just, you know, he made a remark about, well, you guys passed the, the, the shop search, and uh, if we don't find anything in these invoices, you'll never hear from us again. And I kind of laughed at him. I was like, oh, I'll be hearing from you again because you'll find something. And he's like, what does that mean? And I was like, dude, you're the government. And I said exactly what I just said. You know, you all don't go fishing and not catch fish. You'll find something in there. You know, we used the wrong brand air filter on invoice number 236. You know, we used a non-EO oil filter on that dude's Honda. You know, it's just they're going to find something in those invoices and I'm fine with that, you know. We'll pay the fine, we screwed up, and business as usual, and move on. We got an education. Since then, I've been pretty verbal about it, this on social media, and I am studying the law now that I hadn't studied previously. Um, I honestly, truthfully never knew there was laws against diesel performance. There's a lot of bad crap happening in this world. I didn't know making a 12-valve not suck was a crime. And in my recent studies of the law, as it is written, that's exactly what I've realized. Making a 12-valve not suck is a criminal act in the eyes of the government and the EPA. I think that's where a lot of this, I don't want to call it hysteria, but I think things have happened really fast. And it, it hasn't been a fast process, so I think I think you know that things have been going on for quite a while, um, sure. maybe even back six, seven years. And over the years, you know, on the podcast, we've talked with Dennis Perry about it. We've talked with Corey Willis about it. We've talked with ATS about it. But it's like now all of a sudden there's been direct kind of action and, and then results of things happening where I, I've seen some things, you know, you guys have posted or just things in my own research where you're right. It's not just about, hey, don't take this filter off or this EGR off, it kind of opens it up to what can you do on a 96-12 valve? What can you do on a 2004-59? What is exactly changing the the emissions output of a particular vehicle? And then what does it do to specifically performance? We're not so much talking about maintenance and repair. You know, you can always get a whole set turbo to put on that 2004 and a half, five, nine, but what does it do to somebody who wants to make a 600 horsepower truck or a 700 horsepower truck, just do different things. And I think that's where you know, a lot of your concerns are coming up is what's going on. Yeah. I, I've, I've only 
my career in diesels has been diesel performance. Um, you know, I was one of the first guys with a twin CP3 common rail running a 63 millimeter turbo. I mean, I was doing that in October of 04, bought the truck October of 02. You know, we're hitting the dyno. I didn't even know what a dyno was. I was just trying to get up this one certain mountain pass in, in Montana that was kicking my butt as a log home builder, and I didn't even care about diesel performance. I just wanted to get up the damn hill. Mm-hmm. So my expertise grew from raising hell and breaking shit, as Ryan Millicum has so graciously put it, but that's exactly what I was doing. 20 years old, I'm trying to get to the top of this mountain with a log home package on the back of my pickup, and I was going over that hill at 30 miles an hour. So I... I studied, I broke things, I I worked on fuel systems, I gained an understanding of how these things tick inside and out. I never cared about fixing them. I cared about preventing them from breaking and making them more efficient. That's what my company, my log home company, thrives from. If I could get from point A to point B with a load of logs in 2.5 hours instead of 5.9 hours, then I could make $100 an hour versus $50 an hour. So I thrived on efficiency is what made me money, and the diesel performance thing just kind of happened in the background. It was on Cummins for midnight, you know, teaching somebody else what I did or telling them what nuts and bolts I fought with and how I bent a wrench right. And so I took a lot of pride in being a performance guy, and I still do. But now in the last two weeks, I found out that I'm a criminal, and that's what I have a major problem with because I've never – done anything illegal in my life. I've never had a speeding ticket. I've never even sat in a courtroom other than as a professional witness. You know, I just, I've never done anything wrong, but now reading the law, the way I understand the law, the way the law was explained to me by a agent of the law, everything that I have done to every diesel pickup truck since I was 20 years old is illegal. And we can quit pretending because we all know now the bomb drop last Monday by the EPA it's no longer a gray area that we can pretend we didn't know about. It is now black and white. Anything that changes or alters the way the engine ran from the day it left the manufacturer's facility is illegal, and anything that is modified is considered tampering. So knowing that, I mean, I'm a little worked up because the industry that I've worked in for the last 15 years and been passionate about and, and played around in as a hobby is now a criminal act. Everything to do with modifying a diesel is a criminal act other than installing an edge product. Uh, they have their carb EO numbers, yay for them, that's awesome. Uh, there's a few companies that are that are getting those numbers. A few air intake companies that I've looked into have some of their carb EO stuff in place. But, you know, the bulk of the industry is illegal, and that's scary to me because those are hundreds of thousands of jobs that are going to go away hundreds of thousands of people that were just good old Sunday school teachers and farmers one minute, and now they're criminals because they did all this. Now, obviously, that's not the way the EPA is coming after us. They're not throwing us in handcuffs and throw us in jail. They come in and let you know that you're a criminal. They give you a, a hefty fine, which nobody has seemed to be able to pay so far. So then you go through this long, drawn-out process of showing how much you can afford to pay they take every cotton pick and red cent they can possibly get, and then you go on your way. But now that you know what's wrong, and now that you've sat through the court proceedings, if you get caught doing it again, now you are a criminal. And that hasn't happened yet. So we don't know to what extent they're going to prosecute somebody that does that. 
that I know of. Maybe it has happened. I, I haven't found it. I've talked to a lot of people in the last month, and I haven't talked to one person that's been caught twice. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, with this <clears throat> this particular topic, is like we, I mean, we do a podcast, right? So we're talking to personalities and manufacturers and truck owners and things like that. So we're not necessarily in at the ground floor with like what you just mentioned, what you've, what you've been dealing with and other businesses have. And I, I think that's where truck owners out there are just, they don't, they want answers. They, we've gotten, I can't even tell you how many messages and emails and things of like, Hey, when you talk to this person or anyone, can you ask them this? Can you ask them that? And I think that's where, you know, even like what you just said right there, anything that modifies it beyond what it came you know, off the assembly line with is where it's, it's almost mind blowing because what doesn't in the diesel performance world per se. Exactly. I mean, you put a set of oversized tires on, you're going to alter the RPMs that that vehicle cruised at. So where the manufacturer optimized tuning at 70 miles an hour, 1800 RPM, very little NOx emissions being produced. Now you put a 37 inch tire on that thing. You've completely ruined what they designed now you've got an engine lugging down the highway at 1,600, 1,700 RPM. The NOx emissions at that RPM is completely different than where the manufacturer set it. So, yes, everything alters the way the vehicle runs. You put a bumper on the front of the truck, and it, it, it blocks how much air gets into the, the engine bay, which alters temperatures and air density going across the intercooler and all these things that people just don't even think about until you just get absolutely absurd about it. And that's where I'm at. Like, I'm thinking about this stuff logically and realistically. 99.99% of the products that we install on a day-to-day -day basis are now criminal. And I have a major, major problem with that. That is just asinine to me, especially when a lot of these products we install do make the trucks more efficient. You know, you know, Farmer Fred, he's been in there for three different turbos, you know, at Finally, the truck's got 100,000 miles. It's spent three months in the in the dealership warranty department getting these junk stock turbos put on it. Now he's out of warranty, and he's showing up at my place, and he's like, look, I put three of these junk turbos on here. Is there a better option? I feel it's my job and my duty to tell that guy, yes, sir, there is a better turbo. We can get you a Fat Shaft 62. It's got a much larger fat shaft, a much better bearing design, and we can cut down on your turbo failures. But now I'm being told that that's a criminal act. I guess it's like, you know, it, it hits me hard because like the performance side is what I think what draws most of us in, probably all of us really in one way or another, whether it's, you know, you were talking about, you know, pulling uh, a trailer up a mountain or <clears throat> sled pulling or drag racing or something like that is it's basically a hobby. And I guess what I, I look towards is what kind of answers or clarification or anything is being given where, you know, we understand, hey, ripping a DPF off and, you know, using EGR blocker plates and turning off the codes, that's gone, that's done. You, you're not going to be able to get that and with no repercussions, you know, that's, that's not something you can do. But, you know, there are those companies that do have those EO numbers, you know, there's turbo kits and some other things, but what past that? And not just for the new trucks too. What about the older ones? 
What about the pre-07 trucks? Like, as we've heard for years, right? Like, oh, I don't, I don't want to get a truck with a DPF or, you know, a urea tank or any of that stuff. I'm going to get me a, you know, a 459 or a LB7 or a 7.3 Power Stroke. Right. They're not immune from this no, either. I had that question up until yesterday, and I didn't know how to get an answer, an answer to it without walking into the EPA headquarters and saying, hey, is this okay, or what, what can we do? Mm-hmm. Well, that question that you just put out there got answered yesterday. A mutual friend of ours has a shop that got visited, um, got fined, uh, settled, and at the end of his settlement, he asked that specific question of the EPA attorney. He says, look, how do the laws apply to pre-2003 is the way he worded it, you know, because Cummins multi-pulse injection timing 04 and a half, that was like the first, you know, thing that, you know, me particularly, I was like, what is this deal? And, and why do these trucks suck compared to the 03s? And that's what it was. They introduced that multi-pulse injection, you know, post and your pilot injection on the common rail. It was literally done for emissions. That's it. No other reason. It didn't help with power. It didn't do anything but clean up NOx emissions. So I guess that's why he worded it as pre-03. And the reply to that from the EPA attorney was anything, you know, the manufacturers used other things to control emissions, including injection combustion timing. So tampering with timing on a 12-valve is a version of tampering. It is a tampering offense that is punishable by a fine. Uh, Putting a chip on your 7.3 power stroke is tampering. It changes the injection timing electronically. It changes how that engine runs. Therefore, that is a a, a finable offense. It's tampering. So that that question's been answered and very clearly in black and white. Everything is illegal. Wow. Yeah, it's... um... I can see, I can see why it, now, why there's all these questions because it's, I don't think it's about making them, keeping them running. I don't think it's about driving them. I don't even think it's about buying them. You can do that. But what if you want to do anything other than that? And I know there's, I mean, we're going to have to have like a multi-episode kind of series asking tons of different questions like what is a race vehicle and all that sort of stuff. But just specifically talking about if you own a diesel shop or you work at one or you're a consumer and are going to take your truck somewhere, what's changed? And I think you, you outlined it there. And I guess people are looking for hope. They're looking for, looking for something like, have, have you found anything out there? Have you been you know, able to talk with anyone that's like, Hey, I wrote under- a letter to our state congressman and um, got a reply back very rapidly and was informed within a day of sending the letter, and I basically outlined as as, as this. Um, I mean, I grew up in a poor family in Montana, and, you know, I went to work when I was eight years old. My dad made five bucks an hour. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. You know, my dad went into the National Guard for some extra income, but there's just a town we grew up in. There was no economy there, so you either move there rich or you live there poor and work for the rich. And so that's the environment I grew up in, and so... You know, my life experience in a nutshell is stretching barbed wire and pounding T-posts into rock for four years, six years of my life at a cattle ranch. And when I decided that sucked and I didn't want to make five bucks an hour anymore, we moved to a different town. Dad got a better job and and I went to work for a log home company at 15 years old. And so 
diesel trucks have pretty much been a part of my life since the beginning. You know, at the ranch, I drove a uh, 9473, you know, the whole time I worked up at that ranch. When I got out of that ranch and went to the log home company at 15 years old, our entire fleet was power strokes and F650s and Dodge Cummins, you know, and, and at a young age, I started tinkering with these things, you know, and, and reading up on them, and the Internet was just starting to become a cool thing. Forums were just starting to become a thing, so... I could get on powerstroke.org and I could get on Cummins Forum at 16, 17 years old and read up on an issue that one of our trucks was having in the log yard. And so I could go to my boss and say, hey, man, you know, this air filter design sucks. These map sensors clog up. We can throw an AFE air intake on this rig and fix this problem once, or for all, once and for all. Or I could go to the boss man and say, hey, you know, that mountain pass we keep struggling to get up. We broke down like four times. We can get a better intercooler for this thing and cool it down so we're not melting it to the ground. You know, we can build our transmissions with BD diesel performance parts instead of OE parts. And so I've been tinkering with these things since 16, 17 years old, little bits here and there, nothing on the scale that I would say is, you know, diesel performance. We were just trying to keep our crap on the road. Yeah. Well, that segued into me starting my own company, and I have my own diesel fleet. So I've always been of the mindset, I'm never going to buy the same piece of crap that failed and replace it with another same piece of crap. If I can upgrade, we're upgrading. If I can't, we'll put the same piece of crap back on there and cross our fingers. So, you know, when the EPA was at our shop, that was a conversation that came up because almost every vehicle on our lot had the emissions removed. And, you know, the guy was getting pretty amped up about it. And when we would go back inside and pull that customer's invoices, I was able to prove that every single one of those vehicles we had never deleted. And so he was bothered by that, and he finally, at the end of the visit, he says, you know, why, did, why do you think everybody yanks the emissions off these trucks? And so I posed the answer to him like so. I said, what do you drive? And he drove a 14 Dodge Durango. And I said, all right, Todd, if I told, you know, if you bought that Dodge Durango and at 30,000 miles your alternator failed, and you took it back to the dealership because it was under warranty. And at 62,000 miles, the alternator fails again. What are you going to do? He said, well, it's still under warranty, so I take it back again. Yes, sir, you're right. That's what everybody does. At 100,000 miles, the third alternator fails. And this time, you don't get to leave your vehicle at the dealership for three weeks until they get a chance to look at it while you still make the payment, which is frustrating. Now, you get to make the payment, and you don't have a vehicle to drive, and now it's going to cost you money to fix that alternator. So what do you do? You end up at a shop like ours because the dealership's not going to help you out. I said, so you walk in and you're like, hey, man, is there a better alternator for this thing? I've put three factory ones in it. Here I am broke down, and I'm going to tell you, absolutely, we can get you this capacitor. We're going to delete your alternator. You need to plug your capacitor in every night when you get home. It's going to store up enough power for you to do your day-to-day -day functions with your vehicle. But we've got to write you a tune because when we unplug the alternator, you're going to have an incomplete circuit code, which is going to have a check engine light. So we're going to do a custom tune on just to shut that incomplete circuit code off. It's not deleting anything. It's not tuning the vehicle up. It's not altering the emissions in any way. I said, what would you do? He's like, well, I'd probably go for that option. I said, all right, now take that entire conversation we just had and replace alternator with EGR cooler or EGR valve. And he looked at me like I just swacked him across the face of the like he didn't know what to say. He was totally bewildered. And I said, that's why people delete federal emissions equipment. And that was pretty much the end of our meeting, and they walked out. And so you know, I don't think they've ever thought about what they're enforcing. They haven't thought about how this affects people, including themselves. 
and the big, ugly, furry bear in the room here is what happens once they shut down all the manufacturing companies and all the diesel shops and nobody can do anything to the trucks anymore. Now what's the EPA going to do for funding? This is a scary part, and I'm not trying to get everybody worked up. I'm just using my brain. When their cash cow is dead and they've compiled these hundreds, if not millions, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of invoices when they go in and raid these shops and they get all these invoices with customers' names on them, that is a piece of paper proving that you bought crack from Jose behind the dumpster in the dark alley. So when you have a paper trail showing that the consumer paid for something, received an invoice on that something, now they can go after the consumer. There's, you don't have to still have the truck. They have a piece of paper that proves you bought crack. You know, in this case, we're talking diesel parts, but in this case, we're also talking about a criminal act. So it's no different. You don't get an invoice from your drug dealer because they're guilty. I gave out invoices on every single diesel truck I tampered with over the last 15 years because I didn't know I was guilty. So just different ways of looking at the situation, and that's reality. I don't look at it as an excuse to get out of something or a way to justify what I did. Those are the facts. I did not know that what we were doing was wrong, and now I'm being told that it's wrong. From from the, the letter that you wrote, the state congressman, like, is it a response of, like, hey, we didn't know this was going on. We we want to take a look at it. Are they are they, they sympathetic? They, no, they knew it was going on. I was the I was long ways down the line of diesel shops that had already complained to them about this very thing. A lot of shops here in Georgia are going out of business over this. Uh, they walk in, scary bulletproof vest, guns, warrants, uh, arrest warrants. In one case that I talked to. Um, the dumbass shop owner put up a Facebook post, come here for all your DPF deletes. They walked into a shop with that screen printed out, you know, a screenshot printed out, uh, slapped it on his desk. They had an arrest warrant with his name on it. They had a arrest warrant with his employee's name on it. And I saw these things. This is not hearsay or scare tactics. I saw these things. This is a very good friend of mine. And they basically told him, you know, give us a big target to fry and we'll never be here again and stop what you're doing and don't do anymore. And so he stopped, obviously. That's a scary scenario to, to live through. Um, so we're on a long list of people that have reached out to our congressman, and they're actually launching an investigation into EPA overreach here for us. So we'll see what happens. Um, that's the, the ball's rolling. We'll see if it goes anywhere. It's a, yeah, it's a, I don't know. It, it's it, like said earlier. It's, it's like mind blowing to think about because my mind kind of works similar. I don't think, well, hey, there's no more, you know, deletes or whatever it might be out there to buy. I'm thinking like you, like, well, where does this stop? Like, can I get those bigger wheels and tires? Can I do this? Can I take this old truck I had that just been keeping around and now I want to put like a tube chassis on it and you know, do this deck plate motor and go out and race it? Like, can I do that or can I not do that, you know? I, I, I want to say yes. You know, I'm not an attorney, obviously. I'm just now starting to look into these laws, and I'm the furthest thing from an expert on the planet. But in the, in the research that I've done and talking to the people that I've talked to, that question was answered as well. And basically, the EPA gets to change the rules of monopoly as they see fit. How many people want to play Monopoly with that little 
that Blazers makes the rules up as he goes. But that's the stance they've taken on it, and that's how they've answered that question. They have discretionary power to where they can come into a situation. Um, this was from one of the shop owners that have been busted, asked the same question, and they would basically say, you have to keep track of what you did to the vehicle, parts purchased, uh, pictures of them being installed, pictures of the vehicle as it was being installed, pictures of the vehicle driving on a trailer, pictures of the vehicle leaving on the trailer, pictures of the vehicle with no license plate on it. Um, you know, so at that point, they would come in. You know, this guy's going to get visited for the next 18 years of his life. They're going to come in every six to eight months, go through his QuickBooks, go through his finances, make sure he's not ordering illegal cocaine diesel parts. And if he builds a drag truck for you know, some famous person or somebody with a whole bunch of money, he would have to hand over that file and say, hey, man, we built a drag truck last year. Here's all the pictures and documentation showing that it's an off-road use-only vehicle. Here's the picture of the race certifications. Uh, here's pictures of it coming in on a trailer and leaving on a trailer. And at that point, they're just going to say, well, all right, you did a good job documenting all this stuff. Obviously, that vehicle is not being driven on the street, and away they go. So, yeah, that's the answer to that question as it was answered by an EPA-appointed attorney. So if that guy's got it wrong, then we've all got it wrong, but I'm going off what the EPA is saying, and that's what the EPA is saying about that particular question. There's like dozens. There's probably dozens more questions we're going to have, like, after this podcast <laughs> and moving forward because it's so it's so fluid, and I think that's – and it changes, and that's where – so much confusion is there because I think everyone can understand saying, hey, these trucks are certified for this emission standard. You can't remove these things. Okay, cool. But then it can change to other things. And it's like, well, what do I do? Like, especially as a business owner, let's just look at that angle is what can I stock on my shelves? When the next guy that comes through the door, what can I do for him or can't do for him? Um, right. What direction do I go? You know? I mean, as far as what you can stock on the shelves for performance, from what I've found so far, a uh, couple of AFE intakes, some some filter back exhaust that they've gotten Carvio numbers on, uh, SMB air intakes, Edge products, you know, Derive systems. I think they're going through all this, you know, right now and, and getting their certs up. And so there's going to be a, a small handful of things, but these are massive companies. I mean... Edge Products and Super Chips, they're owned by, isn't it Holly Carburetor or something like that? MSD or something huge? Something, yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about a multi, multi-billion dollar corporation owning these little sister parent, you know, little sister companies. They've got the money to get the certs. You know, they've got the time. Now, I just, I want answers, and I want solid answers, and nobody's got them. And a few people have been given answers, and none of the answers line up. You know, 15 different shop owners that I've talked to that have been busted and settled. You know, one shop's like, well, what do we do now? And the EPA's answer is business as usual, black and white, on paper. I've seen the replies. The next diesel shop's like, if you ever get touched, you know, caught touching a diesel engine with your finger in your butt at the same time and you're looking north at the wrong angle with a smirk on your face, you're getting nailed, buddy. So one guy has got this totally unrealistic expectation of how to move forward doing business. And the other guy paid his fine, and they're like, business as usual, pal. And all that company does is manufacture defeat devices. So I don't understand this massive, not double standard, I'd call it a, an infinity standard. It's like the rules change for each situation, 
and I don't know what determines the rules. So it's like my mom and dad telling me I can't do something, but they don't really tell me why I can't do it or or how I can't do it or when I can't do it. It's sometimes it's okay to do it on Wednesdays, but you know you you better not do it on Sundays or else. And that's where I'm really confused and. I'm not going to just let somebody come in and say, you're a criminal, here's your fine, continue doing business as usual. Well, if I'm a freaking criminal, I can't do it anymore. You know, I can't yeah. jump on Amazon and buy a pound of crack cocaine because it's illegal. But I can jump on Amazon and sure as hell buy an EGR Elite kit right now. Do I want 10? Hell yeah, put 10 in my cart. But it's illegal. That's what I have a problem with. Well, we're... Uh something we really want to focus on is it's major news and it changes so much and it does offer opportunities in other ways. I think, you know, there's at least with the 2007 and a half to current trucks is, I think there is a lot of technology and expertise and talent that's in the aftermarket that can make these trucks run really well. And you can make good, you know, good power with them. Yeah, and no, not absolutely increase the emissions output of what they were certified for it's just everything past that and you know our, our goal is to just chat with as many different parts of the diesel community as we can about this so there's information that's out there so you have one of these trucks or you're in the business or you're thinking about either you know buying it or starting a shop or getting involved with it you have some information to know from like what you guys went through or some of the stories you told or what some of the manufacturers are going to tell us and so it's not just, you know, like you were saying with starting a logging company, you start it up, you try to do everything by the book and you're like, Hey, I'm not making any money because I've spent all this money and time on safety equipment and reading the rules. Well, that's not a viable plan in, in this current automotive market, you know? No. And I, I have a feeling the way that some of the questions were posed to me during our visit, they know that. And they almost think it's funny. Um, that pisses me off. I feel like I'm being bullied when that happens. And that's exactly what was happening during our visit is we were being bullied. Um, basically, you know, show me your trash. I always catch everybody in the trash. The trash is always exciting. That's a government agent, you know, doing his job should not be excited to get in trouble. The government agent doing his job should be excited to see people being compliant. And he wasn't. He was frustrated. Um, that pisses me off. You know, I'm not here to be bullied. I'm not. If you tell me I'm doing something wrong, I'll never do it again. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't speed because it's against the law. Now, if it's Saturday night, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm on 400 miles of straight, narrow, four-lane highway, and there's nobody else around, hell yeah, I'm turning the ponies loose. I'm not endangering anybody except for myself. If I want to go out doing 140 miles an hour down the freeway and I hit an embankment, that's my choice. You know, if I want to suck start a shotgun or do drugs my whole life or drink my liver to death. Those are my choices. I'm not going to hurt anybody else in the process. And that's how I feel about this. We're not hurting anybody. What we're doing to these trucks is good for our customers. You know, when the option, when we thought, you got to word everything so careful now, when we thought that EGR deletes were okay because nobody was running around in 2005 telling us we couldn't take them off, you know, it wasn't until 2012 was the first time I ever heard a story about removing emissions being against the law or illegal. That was the first time in 2012. I've been messing with these trucks since I was 16. So in 2003, when the first 6 OEGR cooler come into the shop, busted in half, pouring coolant out the exhaust, 
we found out we could take the piece of it off and put a smiley face sticker over the check engine light and send the guy down the road and never see him again. We thought we were doing him a favor. We thought we were doing what was right for the customer. Now, you know, 2012, nine years later, all of a sudden, Edge Products is getting raked over the coals over it. By 2014, they're paying a massive fine. So I knew about that and I was aware about it, but nobody, still nobody came to our shop and said we couldn't do it. They just basically said the programmer that allows it wasn't okay. Back to the smiley face stickers over the check engine light. Business as usual. So it's just the way that it's gone down over such a vast expanse of years, and now all of a sudden last Monday, boom, bombshell, anything that changes the way the vehicle runs is tampering, is illegal. There's a major problem there. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it just changed. It, well, it, it makes more questions arise than there are answers. But I think that, you know, hearing what um, what you guys have been through and the experiences with it and, and what's going on provides part of the story that we want to make sure that we, that we talk about on the diesel podcast, right? We're talking about diesel trucks mainly. And it just changes and, and, and where things are. And I know people... They want to get involved and they, they, they want to help. They may not know how to do it, you know, but it's, it's something we need to all kind of look at, whether we drive the trucks, talk about them, sell the parts, make the parts is what, what is the future going to be like? What, what kind of arena can we operate in and then proceed and unleash, like I said earlier, the talent, the expertise, the skills that a lot of these people have, you know, you mentioned companies, there's people there that. Like they do know how to make those turbos last longer. They do know how to make the transmissions hold up better. They do know how to make a, a more efficient converter. They do know how to make injectors that 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 hold up longer than the OEM. But can they? Can they operate in that arena? Well, that's that's where I feel. You know, that's what I would like to see happen. Now, I'm not a manufacturer, so I'm I'm tongue in cheek here, and they're probably going to listen to this and scoff. Like, well, easy for you to say, but. You know, at the end of the day, we're an installer. We don't manufacture anything. We don't do programming or tuning at our shop. We're just installers. Um, but our livelihood, my livelihood, relies on the manufacturers doing the testing, getting the EO number, getting the card number, if that's what it is. Um, if we can play by the law and still do what we love, you know, as long as Farmer John can still bring his truck to me and I can give him the option of a better product, rather than the OEs. I think that's where the EPA is wrong here. They're glorifying the OEs, and we all know why. Ford Motor Company doesn't want us buying a turbo from industrial because their turbo sucks. You know, Holset does not want us buying a turbocharger from Garrett because Holset can't seem to figure out how to make a whiz-bang spinny thing to save their ass. So they've got billions of dollars where they can bribe the government agencies into enforcing these laws that puts the money back in their pockets, which leaves the little guys that are trying to bring something better to market out in the rain with a, with a pot in their hand. And, and that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, we can sugarcoat it. We can talk about it 10 different ways. It's all about money. This is a money grab, whether it's to fund the EPA or to keep the money with the, the OEs, you know, Chrysler, FOMOCO, GM. That's what I see on a grand scale of things, looking at the big picture, not being emotional, feeling sorry for myself, just looking at the facts, this is our new reality. That's facts. They're trying to fund their agency, which Donald Trump defunded, um, and they're doing a good job. Yay for them. They're finally doing their jobs. Can't seem to 
keep the water clean in Flint and they're polluting rivers in Colorado, but by God, they're, they're hitting diesel shops. Good for them. But at the end of the day, none of it's about the environment because if it was about the environment, they would be contacting companies like Snow Performance. How can we implement water methanol injection on a vehicle from the factory? Um, that's a way better option to me than death, and we've proved that it works. You know, I worked at a shop that was in an emissions check station in Washington State for a brief period, and we did a six-seven power stroke, did a, a you know emissions compliant tune on it. We put a water methanol injection system on it. We did a NOx test before. We did a NOx test after with the water methanol, the cold air intake, the programmer on it. The truck ran. So much cleaner. I mean, night and day. Like, this was phenomenally clean. So if they're really concerned about the environment, which we all now know they aren't, that's what they should be doing. How can we get the aftermarket involved with the OE and come out with a product that really works for the end consumer? There's no reason we can't all be driving 670 horsepower Cummins and, you know, 650, 700 horsepower power strokes that run super freaking clean. We have the knowledge. We have the technology. We haven't implemented it because it's been so much easier to just take that crap off and build buku power for very little money. And people keep calling up to the shop, you know, finding out that we've been visiting, like, oh, it's going to kill you guys, ain't it? Heck no, we're going to make money hand over fist. There's massive pro profit margins in the diesel particulate filter. You know, we can make $1,300 profit putting a DP diesel particulate filter back on a customer's truck. If I put a delete pipe on that customer's truck, I walk away with $35 in my pocket. It didn't help me. It helped the customer, but it didn't help our business. And so, you know, the money doesn't go in my bank account. I have no way to benefit from talking somebody into leading federal emissions. I would make way more money telling them to replace that part. So that's a whole other angle here, but that's what we're dealing with, and that's what I would love to see happen. I would love to see these aftermarket companies get the testing done. I know it sucks. I know it's a bunch of money. Uh, there's got to be a way we can raise that money. You know, if the EPA can go around and find people, there's got to be a way for us to all get together and figure out how to make a little bit of money to pay for testing to, to keep the products that we love. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it blows black smoke. It doesn't matter if it pollutes. They don't care about that. All they care about is you either pay them the money in fines or you pay them the money in testing. As long as they get their money, they'll leave us alone. I think Corey had touched on, Corey Willis from PPI had touched on it before with us, and we definitely want to chat with him again, but about him testing or being able to test calibrations. And I think extending that into being able to test these other products. Because, yeah, I mean, the sound of the older diesels is cool, and we all love it, but who wouldn't want a you know, 2019-2020 truck with 685 horsepower with all the stuff on it that it's clean. I mean, I would want it. I'm sure you'd want it. There'd be a lot of people out there that would want I've that. I've got it. I've got it. I mean, I've got a six, seven power stroke that's nice and quiet and rides like a Cadillac and we take it on family road trips and I have no reason to do anything to it. It does everything I want it to do. It goes from point A to point B. You got to buy a little death fluid now and then. Whoopie freaking do. It's not that bad. But I've also got my 97.73 with a five inch straight pipe. And when I want to go make some noise, I can go make some damn noise with it. Um, you know, I've got a modded out 6.0 that runs around on 38. It looks good. It sounds good. It runs good. You know, you step on the throttle, the tires squeal. It, it does what I want. So I think there's a place for both. You know, the older trucks are going to turn into toys. 
and the newer trucks are going to be that family road trip vehicle, but we don't want it breaking down every week because the filter's clogged up. We don't want to be replacing urea sensors when they crystallize and clog up, especially the tune of $1,400 a whack. You know, and these yeah. things are clogging up every 30,000 miles, sometimes sooner. Well, I mean, I think this was this was a really good chat that we had, and, and I really wanted to, to sit down and, and talk with you and hear what you guys are going through and, and the insights and experiences and the frustration, too, and uh, be able to present that to you know, our listeners and people out there who care about the, you know, the, the trucks, the community and, you know, the motorsport side as much as any of us. So it was, it was great to chat with you, Vinny. Hopefully next time we do it, we've got something else that, um, that we can, we can be talking about. But well, uh, I, I think the, the best way to end this is, is for the consumers, you know, we're frustrated as, as shop managers, shop owners, mechanics, seeing our livelihood threatened. We're frustrated. The consumer should be equally as frustrated, and what I'm seeing is a whole bunch of flopping around on the social media like a, you know, you got these morons tagging their shop. Take it to my shop. They'll do the leads. You literally just turned your shop in, literally. You know, when they came into our shop, they had screenshots of people referring our shop for deletes. Luckily, I replied to every single one that they showed me with, we do not do that. It is illegal. You know, other shops aren't doing that. They're saying, thanks for the referral, buddy. Well, your name just went on a list. Thanks to your buddy. Mm-hmm. So the consumers need to be educated as well. Stop tagging shops. Stop talking about deletes. You are not above the law. Your name is on that invoice. Your phone number is right next to it. You paid for an illegal product, and they can come and see you. We can pretend that they won't. Too much of a pain in the butt. It's as simple as sliding a note in the mail with a copy of your invoice and a fine. They can email a, a traffic ticket from a video camera. They can send your butt a fine for an invoice. So that, I think, is where we need to leave this off. And those people, if they truly are passionate and they still want to modify their trucks, every single person who listens to this podcast needs to get a hold of their state representatives, write a letter, explain your situation. Don't tell your state representative why you want to remove a federal emissions from your vehicle, explain to them how the federal emissions has impacted your experience with diesel trucks. Tell them about the 12 valve you had back when Grandpa was alive that never broke down and rode 500,000 trouble-free miles. Tell them about the 2019 LML that your LMN or L5P that you got that's been in the shop five times since you bought it because the desk system's failing. You know, tell them about your LML that was in the shop all the time. Your 6-7 power stroke is in the shop all the time because of emissions failures. Shed the light where it needs to be shed. Don't beg for the lease. Beg for the OEs to do better. And and at that point, all we want is a tuner intake, a, turb, a, a filter back exhaust, and a fast system, and we got a 600-horsepower truck that's not broke down every three days. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and find us on Instagram or Facebook. Just search The Diesel Podcast. And anything you want to know, any people or topics you want us to cover as it relates to what you can and can't do to your truck, we want to know. We want to get those voices and those perspectives onto the podcast. And, you know, no matter what it is, no matter where you see this podcast, if it's on YouTube, leave a comment. If it's on iTunes, leave us a review. Let us know what we should be asking people, who we should have on, or just send us a message or email. We've gotten so many of them over the last, you know, one to two weeks from you guys. And we want to make sure we can get as many of those questions answered as we can and be able to help, you know, shed light on things 
and be able to put forward a plan that we can in the future still be able to enjoy these trucks, still be able to have fun with them and do it within the framework that needs to be done. Till next time, keep the shiny side up.